welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories. And for this episode, it's myself, Mark, and I'm joined by... Lenny. Lenny, with all the enthusiasm of a flaming sun. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, flaming sun, you just have to look outside and you just see it's blistering hot out there. You just Everyone's... see Irish people spontaneously combusting in the middle of the street. Oh, we have to talk about spontaneous combustion in, uh, in mythology and folklore. That's an interesting one. But uh, everyone, because it's so sunny, everyone's heading off to the beach. Yes, they are. You had a trip to the beach, didn't you? Oh, I did, Mark. Oh, I did. Yeah, you know, we're not going to talk about it on this, though, because you may incriminate yourself. Yes. But uh, but there's no surprise that an awful lot of our folklore and mythology is set around the coast. The fact that we live on an island huh. and uh, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty and mystery in the sea. But you're, you're not a fan. I'm not a fan of the sea or anything that lives inside of it or anyone that goes out onto the sea. You don't like them either? No, I just think uh, leave well enough alone out there because you're going you're gonna to die in a very painful way. It, it's weird, there's a theme, because we've covered a lot of water-based stories, but your story of the Baldoy Widow mm-hmm. was another one about someone dying at sea. Yeah. We just seem to call you in for these ones all the time. You seem to just want to trigger all of my How phobias How are you with a swimming pool or Grant, jacuzzi? All swimming stuff. pool, Grant, jacuzzi, fine. Open water, I just cannot do it. I once got bit by a fish on the toe in Wexford, and I think that's where my trouble started. Do you think that's a real memory? Uh, I. What is a real memory? Oh, let's not get into that. That is going to be But I mean, the creatures in the sea are like are phenomenal. Like they're so prehistoric. They're crazy. Like you get bit by a fish. Okay, it's not actually that surprising. Uh, why the fish would bother with you, I don't know. Um, but but it's it, just like everything that's so horrifically awful and then you it just lives in the sea apart from people they're not the worst well there are certain types of people that live in the sea i don't like you looking at me like that we look like that when we talk about it but we're going to be doing a story today which features seals and people and i think seals are i mean they're amazing creatures would you not would you swim with sea lions no not into an no i wouldn't i actually couldn't i'd have a panic attack I know leopard seals are incredibly vicious and they can grow up to like 15 feet long and they're just killing things for the fun of it. But like the seals around Ireland are so friendly and so nice. No. Okay. Well, I just that... can't get into it. And even though the baby ones maybe at a, at a distance behind some type of shelter. Yeah. But I couldn't. Couldn't I really couldn't. No, I couldn't. Okay. I'd love to be able to be one of them people who like go surfing and it's just into like seals and aquatic marine life and I'm like no lads no, I can't it. it would really suit you like to be a surfer dude I can picture all too easy yeah I just and I know it's it's an irrational fear and I think it's like I, I listened to this podcast about Jaws a while ago and how Jaws has like instilled this fear in people of sharks and the ocean yeah. and that was one of the regrets that Steven Spielberg had when he made it is that he caused this whole knock-on effect and well, that is why is, I'm the way I am because of Steven Spielberg I mean there's also the sharks eating people yeah but it's, it's highly unlikely yeah like more people die a year with coconuts falling on their head that's a fact. That's I, I, you're, You always have such a strong use of the word fact that I don't even bother going and Google it. But I it's just true. just accept that that's the reality It's true, it. and I, I just couldn't. And I accept that they're... It's just how much of it. I, it's some really high percentage. I think it's 86% of the world's oceans and waters are undiscovered. So it's like, what is there? Meros absolutely exist. 
Yeah, because we have we have all these amazing creatures, and again, like we did one of the the talking videos, myself and Paulie, where we went down to the seaside. And we we talked about the bizarre and unusual creatures that are there, but the marrows and the silky just kind of makes sense, especially with especially the silkies when you look at the behavior of seals. Mm-hmm. They're such social creatures, and kind of like their family units are such an important parts, and they behave like people. So it just makes sense. I, I use that kind of phrase loosely, but it kind of just, it's not completely implausible to imagine that they're cursed people or they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're another type of people. And it's, you see that in a lot of stories, in particular in Eleanor's story today, which is a beautifully sad story, but tragedy and the sea just go hand in hand. Yeah, there's never really, when do you ever hear of someone, something actually happening within the sea that ends well? Never in a conversation with you or in a movie uh, by Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. Yeah, but they ne- it never goes well. Well, it doesn't seem to go much better on land anyway. But how about we have a listen to Eleanor's story and then uh, we'll see if we can help you with your phobia. It's not likely though. No, but look at St. Patrick. He was stolen. Brought on the sea across the Ireland. We could have to do with St. Patrick. <laughs> In the small fishing village off the coast of Donegal, there lived two brothers, Aidan and Angus O'Donnell. They lived alone, their parents were long gone, and Aidan was the oldest, though it was very easy to mistake one for the other. They were both tall, broad and sturdy, with bright red hair and shocking blue eyes. They were seal hunters by trade, in a time when this was a more commonly accepted profession. They would club seals to death and sell seal hides and seal oil, and that's where they made their living from. They lived just as well, or just as poorly, as anyone else in the village did. And their love and rivalry with each other had no end. Whatever one of them said, the other had to disagree with. Whatever one of them did, the other had to do better. And this was how they lived their lives. People down the village used to say that those brothers would kill each other one day, but they would just as soon kill for each other as well. They were fiercely protective of each other. And, with a lot of arguing, they lived fairly content lives. Until Honora Ryan arrived. Honora Ryan was from the great city of Belfast. She had been widowed at the tender age of 19, after her husband had an accident in the shipyards. She moved west to Donegal, and soon she was the talk of the town with her lovely dark hair, her beautiful green eyes, and a smile for everyone in the village, especially Aidan and Angus. They were soon smitten with her. Whenever the people of the village used to gather in someone's house of an evening for some music, song and chat, and to pass around a bottle of putcheen, Nora would insist on seating herself right in between Aidan and Angus and she would place her lovely delicate hands on both their arms and shoulders and coo over their biceps and whisper in each of their ears and position herself just so, so they got a really nice look down her top. And she would spend half of the night laughing in, in Aidan's at Aidan's jokes and whispering in his ear and then she spent the other half the night draped over Angus and singing songs with him and so on these nights would go vice versa and it was impossible for 
anyone in the village to tell, especially Aidan and Angus themselves, who she liked more, who she was flirting with more. It was impossible. Less than two weeks, Honora had been in the village, and the brothers were ready to kill each other. Aidan moved his bed in the house as far away from Angus as possible. They wouldn't say good morning, good evening or good night to each other anymore. They wouldn't have a word to say to each other at mealtimes. And yet they wouldn't let each other out of their sights as well for fear that if, say, Aidan turned his back on Angus for five minutes, Angus would be running down to the village to court Nora and vice versa. The atmosphere of the air between them was, was like the hours before a storm. But Honora wasn't a cruel person at heart, and she decided she didn't want to lead these two young men on anymore. So one evening, she arrived to their cottage, and as the two brothers scrambled and fell over each other in haste to give her the nicest tea and biscuits they had, she simply said, I've made a decision. I know that you two lads want to walk out with me. Walking out being an, an old-timey Irish way of saying to date somebody. And it's a walk that'll end at the altar, I've no doubt. I want a cape. A cape made of seal pelts as fine as any of the ladies in London or Dublin or New York would have. I want four of the finest seal pelts you can find for my cape, and whoever brings them to me, I'll walk out with. Simple as that and she left. The next morning, the two brothers got up and embarked on the most important seal hunt of their very lives. Now, seal hunting isn't the most dangerous profession. It's not like uh, tiger hunting. You go to where some seals are, you position yourself in between the seals, and their only way of escape, the sea, and then you club them over the head. It's still a two-man job, and Aidan and Angus were very good at it. And, wordlessly, they decided on the way to the beach that morning that they would hunt as many seals as they could, kill as many seals as they could, and then find the finest pelts later. For today, the pelts were the prize. But they always shared everything equally. What would happen when it came time to divide up the pelts and see who would give them to Honora? What would happen then? They didn't know. They arrived at this beach where there were dozens of seals lying around in the sunshine and they started clubbing and killing all around them. At the same moment, while this was going on, they spotted a group of about four or five white seals huddled together on the other end of the beach as if trying to hide. White seals were very rare and Aiken and Angus had only seen maybe one or two of them in their whole lives, and they knew Honora would love these white seal pelts. So they ran down to the other end of the beach, clubs held aloft, and made very quick work of the white seals. The brothers stood over their kill, panting, and Aiden was the first to straighten up, square his shoulders and say, You'll help me skin them. And Angus said, You'll help me skin them. I'll pay you. Aidan said, I'm the oldest. I'll pay you. You'll skill them for me. Being the oldest had never been a consideration before when it came to dividing things. Seal hides, seal oil, profits, they'd always been distributed equally between the two of them, but this was a different story. And they started to argue, with spittle flying in each other's faces, fingers being jabbed in the other's chest. And after hours and hours... 
these harsh words turned to physical blows. And when one brother struck his club against the other brother's head, no living thing was left on that beach to witness it. Later, much later, Angus walked into the village, holding his five white seal pelts. People came from out of the houses and out of the shops to have a look, because white seals were very rare, and Honora was amongst them, preening and only delighted because she knew these pelts were for her. And eventually someone asked the question, Where's Aidan? Shouldn't half these pelts be his? Angus hung his head, and his voice went low as he said, Aidan and I were up on the cliff chasing a seal. He ran for it, the seal went over the cliff and took Aidan with him, and they fell into the sea. I searched the sea, I searched high and low on the beach, but I couldn't find Aidan. He is with the sea now. And everyone turned away and went back to their houses. But as they told the story to each other over and over over the next couple of weeks, people began to start asking questions. Questions like, why were Aidan and Angus chasing a seal on a cliff? The seals don't really go on the cliffs, they stay on the beach, they're too slow and clumsy on land. Why were they all the way on top of the cliff? And soon, the people of the village began to shun Angus. Honora Ryan got her sealskin cape and she was delighted with it. It looked beautiful on her, in fairness, as she wore it every Sunday walking out with Angus through the town. But this Angus she was walking out with wasn't like the Angus of those cottage music sessions that she had sang and laughed and danced with before. There was no laughing or dancing or singing with this Angus. Instead, he was irritable and moody and miserable and prone to dark, quiet moods and snapping at everyone the next minute and as much as Honora tried, she couldn't break through and ended up wearing her down. Eventually, about six weeks before their wedding, one morning she ran off with a Frenchman and took the sealskin cape with her to add insult to injury. This was when Angus truly began to lose his very mind. He would spend his days wandering up and down the beach, screaming and roaring at the wickedness of women, and sobbing into his hands the next moment at the loss of his brother, then sitting out on the sand, staring out at the Atlantic horizon, in dark, quiet moods. He would occasionally kill some seals, so he could bribe bread for himself at the end of the day, but there was no pleasure for in it for him anymore. He, he took no happiness from the thud of his club against the seal's head or the spurt of blood. It meant nothing to him anymore without his brother. One day, months later, he was sitting on the beach, staring out of the horizon, when a seal bumped its head from under the water to stare back at him. As sea creatures go, seal heads look very much like human heads. And Angus could swear that this seal that was looking straight back at him had the eyes of his brother Angus, those bright blue eyes. This is what seemed to finally break Angus. 
As he, he wept and wept into his hands, beating his fists into the beach, he cried out, Forgive me, forgive me, have mercy on me. She wasn't worth this, nothing could be worth this, he cried out to the seal. He was like this for hours. And some time later, he felt himself opening his eyes, lying on the beach, and that very seal was lying next to him. And the seal tried to come closer to him, looking straight into his eyes, the eyes of his brother, and Angus could only crawl away, unable to look. And when he eventually stopped, when he, he ran out of beach, or ran out of energy, or ran out of will, he held out a timid hand, and the seal gently pushed his head under it. Angus and the seal spent hours on the beach just sitting and looking out at the sea. And Angus wept again without force as if he was simply leaking. But this time the more he cried the more he, he felt a deep sense of peace. As deep as the waves crashing off the Atlantic coast. And eventually as the sun began to set he set off for home. And the seal followed him along the beach as far as it could. Angus walked slowly so the seal could keep up. Every so often he would stop and crouch down and stroke the seal's head again. And when Angus walked through the village that night, people who happened to be looking out their windows noticed that there was something new in him. A lightness that hadn't been there for months. And after that... Everything changed for Angus. He became the calmest, most cheerful man that anyone had ever known in that village. And he swore that he would never do anything to harm any living creature again. Of course, that meant no more seal killing. He did whatever he could to put some bread on his table with the skills that he had. He fixed sails, he fixed walls, he helped people wherever he could and was only delighted to do it. It meant he had a lot less money, but he didn't seem to mind. And whenever he wasn't eating or working or sleeping, he'd spent all his time down on the beach with that seal. The seal with the eyes of his brother, chatting away to him. And the people of the village used to say that, oh, he was mad, oh, quite mad. But in a harmless way, you know, like, like St. Francis of Assisi, who would never harm a hair on the head of any living creature. And you know, they'd say to each other, sometimes he, he, he talks to this one seal. And he calls it Aiden. Aiden was the name of his dead brother. And he'd be chatting away to this seal. And sometimes he'll stop and wait for a reply. There we have it. Another miserable story. Another story of misery and the sea in Ireland. Um, always a running theme always a running theme when someone has a shit life in an Irish story something happens and the life gets even shitter yeah like nothing goes on yeah nothing goes like, right nothing ever nothing happens and just no wonder we're great storytellers we're sitting around bored all the time that's, and all it takes yeah. is one little unusual thing that's what we were saying like when someone when something happens and you tell a story and then two weeks later you tell the same story and, and, it's and it's changed drastically. Yeah, it changed like that is a, that is Irish storytelling in its essence. Yeah, because you're always going to get these odd bits. I mean, I think as well we fill in gaps that aren't there. 
like in this story, like at the end of it, you see that he's like he's talking to the seal, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's using his brother's name." But I talk to animals all the time. Mm. I mean, you probably talk to animals more than you talk to people. Yeah, and I do the responses as well. Oh, you do them in a different voice, is it? Oh, I can give you the two voices because uh, I have no life, so I sit at home sometimes and think about what accent my cat would have okay. if it actually spoke. So one of them is French because she's Obviously. just like that. G- Gizzy Mooballs, she's French. And then my other cat, Maguire, would be like uh, very much timid, maybe Cork kind of accent. Cork yeah. Yeah, oh, I miss them now that I'm here. But yeah, yeah. I, I'd give them their own accent. Yeah. And then, do you, because you have two cats as well, yeah. do you have the this accent, like this tone that you speak to them in? Like a baby kind of voice? Or do you no, just be like, what's I'm, the story, Rodney? I'm, I'm exactly like that. And everyone else in my house has a voice that they do with them that I just find annoying. Right? Yeah, that's and me. I, I, think, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, like, I'm like, it's patronising. I feel sorry for the animals. But I'm like that with any animal. Like I just, I just chat to them in this voice. I've seen you do it to customers as well. Yeah. But in this story, like I mean, his funny voices might change his story a bit. But it's such a tragically sad story. And and again, the reality of it, if you remove the magic, it's a story about those two brothers and their their fondness for this woman, who's the actual villain in the story. Yeah. Wanted to say what that actually reminded me of. Go on. In uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, before Gollum becomes Gollum, he is Schmeagol. Yes. And Schmeagol murders his friend Deegor yes. over the ring. Is this not the exact same principle? It is, it is. And, Two uh, people, very close, connected, like brothers, they seek out one thing, which yeah. leads them down a demise to something else. That's mm. exactly what I thought of when I heard the story. I relate everything in my life back to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Also, that when you do like a video recording, it is about three hours long. So that <laughs> makes sense. But, but yeah, but for this, I just think playing them off against that, they would have been better off just kind of left to their own devices. But what about this idea of fate that like it's going to happen anyway? Like that you can't avoid it, you can't change it. Like we're destined for doom and gloom. Do you think? I don't know. I, I don't think like that at all because I can go and just have a great day. I can have loads of bad days. but like, I don't necessarily think that, but I think within Irish storytelling specifically when you take out the magic element or the other world element, 90% of the stories are very much something incredibly traumatising, tragic happened, a family member dying, the loss of several people within your home. Yeah. You lose your home, you lose all your money, you lose everything. And that tends to be an Irish story in a nutshell. When yeah, you, ta- when you, you re- retreat into the fantasy. Yeah, like it's, it's, yeah. It's pure, unadulterated escapism. And I suppose like that's it's it's a valid way of dealing with stuff, but at some point, surely you have to come out of it. And that's, that story is so sad when it ends, and you just imagine this, this poor man living out his days, believing that he's talking to his brother. Because what of, happens then when the seal dies? Well, you hope the man goes first. Mm-hmm. But you have this whole idea of like the what if, and like I know Tom is always talking about it um, as a storytelling mechanic. It's like, well, what if something was different? What would change with that? Mm. You know? But uh, in that story, I think there was, it was never going to end well. But just sitting down by the sea, talking to the seals, it's like, how many times have you seen someone in a park just talking to. That's me. That's, I'm oh. sat in the park talking to the pigeons on my own. This, 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 I think for this one, it should have been about you. Mm. <laughs> I mean, 
me and Paulie talking about you for, for an entire episode would work really well. But is there something about that story that you like? I mean, Eleanor, I mean, Eleanor could tell a story about anything. And I love when Eleanor does kind of the funny stories. Mm. Well, she does a beautiful version of that. But what's, what's the thing you like about the story? I like that I dislike it in the sense that I like the woman coming in and she sees it's opportunistic. Yeah. And she sees that she can get capital gain from these two guys, play them off one another yeah. and get something that she really wants. And then you know, like you're listening to the story, you know she's not marrying him. You know no. she's going off with somebody else in the yeah. end. So I kind of like the, because that's such a familiar familiarity of a lot of stories that are yeah. told. Of life. Of life in general. Come on, you went to college with someone like her. I, I yeah, I live on the same road as someone like okay. her. Um, and, and we all know someone like them, you know? Yeah. Like brothers fighting and brothers competing with each other. I have a brother, now he's seven years older than me. Yeah. But my goodness, there's nothing worse than fighting between brothers. It's it's terrifying. But it's common in like, to bring up death, but to bring up death um, when someone dies and they're fighting over inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, family, family the worst. But, um, but yeah, it's just that thing, and yet he regrets it all, and there's no going back. His brother's lost to him. Mm. Every Irish story ever told. But that is the thing. It's common things in Irish stories. You'd wonder with a story like that, who'd claim it? As you like, kind of go around the country and travel along the coast, because fishermen are great for stories. Mm-hmm. Like they just make stuff up anyway. They can't tell you what size of fish they caught was. Like it's, it's like you when you witness something and I know that like kind of a week later you're going to tell a story differently fishermen are going to do that but I wonder how much variation you get as you travel around Ireland you know um, around the coast you also get it like in Norway and Sweden any fishing community you get great stories like look at all the Norse stuff that's all about like I mean it's that's what you want to be like by the sea if you want good storytelling the the salty air bonfire on the beach I mean that's all you want you just won't go anywhere near the water no, I'll, I'll just be on the coast looking through a long telescope but everybody having a great time. <laughs> well, if you were to travel anywhere in the world and you wanted to listen and like as an observer to kind of soak in their culture and their stories, where would you go? And you can avoid the sea. And I can avoid the sea? Yeah. Um, I would probably go to somewhere South America. South America, yeah. just sit down with like the old ears. Yeah, because they have some similar storytelling traditions to what we would have. So I'd be interested to see the cross over there of how they tell them in comparison yeah. to how we would tell, like stories of the Banshee, for example. Yeah, she has a different name over there, but it's the exact same premise of a fairy woman. But I think yeah, good South American, anywhere that is an incredibly poor country tends to have the best. Like historically, tends to have yeah. the best. Well, that's, I mean, that's all you, all you have. Because that's, that's the all you have. you have. Like, I mean, yeah. not being like a lavish banquet. You want to go, like if I was going to one of these big, like Downton Abbey type houses, you want to be downstairs in the kitchen. Yeah. And I think the kitchen is one of the best places for story. Mixing storytelling and food mm. is, I mean, that's just a match made in heaven. Food, drink and stories and a fire. Like what's missing? Yeah. There's nothing missing from that. 
And I'd say if you were to take that story and go around the coast of Ireland, you would find several variations of the same story in all different coastal towns. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And they, they'd be, someone would correct you. You've yeah. always got that no, it was, no, that's not what happened. Yeah, the yeah. other one killed him. And, and their actual yeah. names were such and such. Yeah. And I know this because I know someone who was from exactly. that. Exactly. And I mean, it's amazing when people get so involved in a story and they start fueling it. It's like the Red Sox story, for yeah. example. How many, like, hundred variations of that story have come in the museum throughout the years? In different books, in different storytellers, different podcasts, everything. I've been listening to it for 11 years, yeah. um, like, in here, and it is phenomenal. But it's amazing how someone can just add a different twist to it. Mm-hmm. We're, of course, like, working, like, with, our, with our, our newest storyteller, Jade, and she's doing the story Bottle Hill, which is a story that I know you love, and, and you know, we love that story. Yeah. But she'll put her own twist on it. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see how different peoples and different cultures and how it's influenced by the age of the storyteller. Yeah. How they tackle something that's as simple and as beautiful as this story. Mm-hmm. So Lenny, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, are you going to attempt another journey out towards the beach into the coast? No. No, I'm not going to do no, it. No, that's Can't it. Can't tempt you to face your fears and go and just put your feet in the water. No, I don't think so. Maybe if I had a few whiskeys, might be a that different story. That would be the worst time to take you to the sea. Um, that's not a good idea for anyone. But hopefully soon we'll be able to start getting out. Maybe we'll organise a field trip over the next while. But for those of you who are getting out at the moment and out enjoying the sun and on your adventures, make sure to use sunscreen. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say. Wear sunscreen. Wear yeah, because Irish people in the sun is like a wilted rasher. Yeah. And I know these podcasts can live with people from all over the world, but you can accept that that is a general rule for all Irish people. Is to wear sunscreen and uh, no male is to take off their t-shirt in public. That's They're body the two shaming rules. at its finest. They're the two rules. <laughs> well, listen, guys, look after yourselves. Lenny, thanks so much for no coming worries. on to the podcast. Next time we're going to tackle something. Uh, we'll give you something very different. We'll, we'll accept your trauma, your hatred of the sea. And we'll give you something landlocked. Yes. Maybe we'll find you a story from Leitrim. Oh, thanks, yeah. Okay. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Remember to go and check out our YouTube channel, our other podcasts, our talking videos. And, of course, now you can come in and visit the actual museum. And maybe maybe you'll come in and you'll go on a tour and you'll meet Lenny. Lenny's always got a glossy 10 by 9 ready to sign an autograph on. Um, for me, it's just I sell clippings of my beard in the gift shop at the end. But guys, enjoy yourself. Thank you so much. And we'll see you again very, very soon. Goodbye. Bye. This episode of National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories features Marco Guerron and Lenny Bickerdyke. The O'Donnell Brothers was told by Eleanor Walsh. Thanks for listening. Slong go forward.